In our series this week on what it means to be a prisoner in America, we've looked at juvenile justice, looked at solitary confinement, youth offenders for the most violent crimes, and supermax facilities for keeping order inside prison walls. But being a convict in America is a lifelong identity. What happens when and if the nearly 2 million Americans serving time or awaiting trial return to their communities? It's an issue my co-host Celeste Headley discussed last week with Michelle Alexander, author of The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness. She's also a law professor at Ohio State University. And Susan Burton, founder and executive director of A New Way of Life Reentry Project, a nonprofit dedicated to helping women convicts break the cycle of incarceration. Burton's advocacy organization was born in a very personal tragedy. Well, I had a son, a five-year-old son, who was killed by a policeman. I drank, uh, eventually used drugs. The war on drugs was at its height. Um, I became uh, addicted, and I went to prison for uh, drug use. And I ended up in a cycle of incarceration for over 15 years. Uh, sentences, sentences like 16 months, two years, three years, and I went back and forth and back and forth to prison. In 1997, I found a place that helped me in uh, Santa Monica, California, uh, a little ways from South L.A. where I live. Uh, nonetheless, I got uh, treatment. I got on a path to healing, and I said this, it was so inhumane what happened to me. Uh, so unfortunate that um, I would use drugs instead of have counseling and mental health services, uh, and they would land me in prison. And something like a treatment facility recovery was available uh, to other folks, but not to people in South L.A. Susan, do you mind if I me asking you, are you African-American? Yes, I am African-American. Are a number of the women that you work with through your nonprofit uh, also minorities? Ninety percent of the women that come into the homes are after African American. Why do you think that is? Why is there um, a larger need among a minority population than among the rest of the population? Do you think? Well, the, the um, when crack hit the community, it saturated the African American community, uh, and those people were uh, over policed and policed, and the only solution to the problem that the public had, that law enforcement had, was prison. We're speaking right now with Susan Burton. She's the director of a nonprofit that helps formerly incarcerated women reenter society, and that nonprofit is called A New Way of Life Reentry Project. Also with us is Michelle Alexander, author of The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness, also a law professor at Ohio State University. Why uh, would you connect what's happening with uh, the large numbers of incarcerated African Americans with Jim Crow laws? Well, you know, what we've seen in recent decades is that a war has been declared on poor communities of color, um, known as the war on drugs, and millions of people have been swept into the criminal justice system, primarily for nonviolent and drug-related offenses, swept into the criminal justice system, branded criminals and felons, and then ushered into a parallel social universe in which the very right supposedly 
actually won in the civil rights movement can be stripped from them, including the right to vote, the right to uh, serve on juries, the right to be free from legal discrimination in employment, housing, access to education, and public benefits. So many of the old forms of discrimination that we supposedly left behind during the Jim Crow era are suddenly legal again once you've been branded a felon. And uh, Susan is absolutely right that, you know, our solution to the problem of drug abuse and drug addiction in this country has been to lock poor people of color in particular uh, in literal cages um, rather than to invest in drug treatment um, and drug prevention. Um, you know, drug use and drug abuse happens in all communities of of all colors, but those who do time for drug crime are overwhelmingly black and brown. But what's the reason here, Michelle? Is it because of racism or is it because uh, of the larger number of poor people who are getting arrested? Is it a class thing or a color thing? It's both. And I think it's important to kind of go back to the origins of the war on drugs, how all of this got started. Um, The war on drugs was officially declared by President Ronald Reagan in 1982 at a time when drug crime was actually on the decline. And only about 2% of the American population identified um, drugs as the nation's most pressing concern. Um, So why declare a drug war when drug crime is on the decline and the American public isn't too much um, concerned about drugs at the moment? Well, from the outset, the war on drugs had relatively little to do with genuine concern about people suffering with drug abuse or drug addiction, um, and a great deal to do with politics, uh, racial politics. Um, Numerous historians and political scientists have now documented that the war on drugs was part of a grand uh, Republican Party strategy known as the Southern Strategy of using racially coded get-tough appeals on issues of crime and welfare to appeal to poor and working-class whites, particularly in the South, who are anxious about, resentful of, fearful of many of the gains um, of African Americans in the civil rights movement. And it was the Clinton administration that championed um, so many of the laws that now lock people into a permanent second-class status, um, laws banning drug offenders from federal financial aid from schooling upon their release, federal laws banning um, drug offenders from even food stamps for the rest of their lives, um, laws authorizing legal discrimination in housing for people who uh, have just been arrested um, for drug crimes. And and certainly the disparity is is undeniable. African Americans make up less than 14 percent of the population, but black men in particular account for 40 percent of our prison population. That's Michelle Alexander, a law professor at Ohio State University and author of The New Jim Crow uh, book. Also with us is Susan Burton. And your solution to this, Susan, is not just to try and offer treatment, uh, rehab treatment such as you received that helped you, but you're also trying to convince people to stop taking plea deals. How does that help? You know, when I think about, you know, what's going on, I'm so disturbed by what's happening. And I know that the criminal justice system is the door to um, uh, producing slavery and taking all of people's rights. I know that when you stand in front of a, a, a judge in a courtroom and you're, you're talk, you talk to your, your attorney, uh, your public defender, they're pushing you and convincing you to um, 
take a take a plea deal. And when you don't want to, it's more like a threat. It feels like a threat. So, you know, I'm I'm thinking, you know, how can we stop this? What would it look like if people begin to say, no, I won't deal? Yeah. You know, the public defender doesn't tell you that you're not going to get food stamps for the rest of your life. You're not going to be able to vote. You're going to be put in an underclass, and, and you're not going to be able to find employment because you're going to be checking boxes on every application the rest of your life. Right. And And so I'm thinking, you know, this is so wrong. And what would happen if people begin to say, no, I won't deal. Take me to trial. That was Susan Burton, founder and executive director of a New Way of Life reentry project, speaking to co-host Celeste Headley. It's a nonprofit dedicated to helping women break the cycle of incarceration. Michelle Alexander was also part of that conversation. She's the author of The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Color Blindness. And she's also a law professor at Ohio State University. Part of our prison series, we want you to weigh in on any part of this conversation. We've spoken about the life after prison, particularly for drug offenders uh, in prison and the predominance of poor and uh, uh, minorities in that population. You can call us at 877-8MY-TAKE or post a comment at thetakeaway.org. And also, you're, feel, you're uh, welcome to comment on the Supermax discussion that we had yesterday, uh, the inability of solitary confinement to address some of the issues it was intended to address, and juvenile justice. Uh, can uh, juveniles ever be considered to be unreformable in uh, the American prison system? It's actually an issue before the U.S. Supreme Court. Give us your take at 8778-MY-TAKE or post to thetakeaway.org. We want you to get an early jump on all of our conversations. Be a part of our listener response network by signing up for our texts. We know you want to be a part of the conversation we've been having all week on the Trayvon Martin case in Florida and the whole issue of Stand Your Ground laws. Anyway, you get a text a day where we ask you a question featured on the next day's program. Your voice actually becomes a part of our on-air conversation. You can hear it in every program. Just text the word START to 69866. That's START 69866. I'm John Hockenberry. Celeste Headley is out today. This is The Takeaway.